This is Forage Plus Academy. Wherever you are, riding your horse, mooching at the stable, picking poo in the field, or sitting down for a quick cuppa, plug in your earphones or hitch up your speakers and get ready to get expert about horse nutrition and management. This is Sarah. I hope you are having an amazing time with your horse at the moment. This is the second podcast completing our suggestions and advice for feeding the performance horse. So if you haven't listened to the first one, go back to podcast four, this is podcast five, and listen to that first so that you don't miss all the information that's in the first podcast. As well as listening to the first podcast, you can also download a PDF. There's a link in the show notes. So whatever platform you're listening on to this podcast, if you go and have a look at the show notes, you'll be able to see a link, hit the download button, and then you'll be able to download that PDF and keep it safe and even give it to your friends if you want. So last time I talked about what feed should be the greatest proportion of a performance horse's diet. I talked about how to keep the digestive system healthy and whether a complete bagged feed would cover basic nutritional needs. I also talked about what is the best way to truly balance the diet to fuel power and strength and stamina and health and soundness for many years. It takes such a long time to train a horse Building a strong and trusting relationship takes many hours and much patience. I don't believe in taking shortcuts and I always work on horse time. Horses become your best friends and they give so much in so many different ways. I tell myself I am amazingly lucky to own four horses of a lifetime. But to be honest, a horse of a lifetime doesn't just drop into your lap. It's built and it's nurtured. It's developed through careful attention to sympathetic training and the best, most targeted nutrition you can give them. Targeted nutrition, as discussed in part one, has to look at what needs to be matched to the greatest proportion of the diet, which should always be forage, grass, hay and haylage, and keeping the horse as close to its evolutionary diet and management as possible. So with this in mind, let's talk about fat, as this has become a common ingredient in many performance feeds. Fats are very energy dense, 2.25 times more calories than an equal weight of carbohydrate. And they are a cheap way of adding large amounts of supplemental energy to the daily feed. But I'm not really a fan of feeding high-fat diets to horses because of the effect they have on reducing mitochondrial function and numbers in the cells. Research shows that mitochondrial health affects performance levels in all mammals. I can hear you wondering, what are mitochondria? Well, mitochondria are special compartments in our cells that are best known for their role as powerhouses. 
They break down food molecules and turn out ATP. ATP is a molecular fuel for the rest of the cell. They carry out many other important biological processes and are central to the correct functioning of the cells, which will drive health, stamina and athleticism in performance horses. The health of the mitochondria is intricately linked to horse health. So a feeding approach which maximises mitochondrial health is vital for success. When fed in excess, fat has the potential to disrupt mitochondrial health. It also can disrupt hindgut fermentation and absorption of some minerals and vitamins. Young, growing horses and horses putting significant stresses on their bone by exercise are in a state of high bone stress and remodelling that requires a ready availability of minerals and a supportive hormonal environment for growth and repair. Studies looking at high fat feeding in both horses and other animals have repeatedly found a negative effect on bone mineral content. Fat is susceptible to rancidity and where a high fat diet is fed to a horse, the horse is at a higher risk of developing cellular oxidative damage. If vitamin E, a natural antioxidant, is not provided in the daily diet alongside the fat supplementation, there is likely to be oxidative damage. Then there's glucose and glycogen. Glycogen's the storage form of glucose in muscles and the liver. They are absolutely essential to life and to performance too. The body is equipped with multiple pathways for generating glucose in the event of a low dietary intake. The release of fatty acids from body fat depots occurs when blood glucose levels drop, like in fasting or starvation. This sends a red flag message to curb the burning of glucose and preserved stored glycogen. This simple fact affects performance negatively, particularly speed performance. In addition to impaired ability to utilise carbohydrates as fuel, high-fat feeding decreases glycogen stores. This is the kiss of death for speed work. An unconditioned horse will produce higher levels of lactate. The body makes lactate acid when it is low in the oxygen it needs to convert glucose into energy. Lactic acid buildup can result in muscle pain, cramps and muscular fatigue. A well-trained horse doing the same level of exercise will have more mitochondria and better oxygen delivery to the muscle than one that is not well-trained or fit, if you want to put it that way. Training increases the efficiency of the energy generation by increasing aerobic capacity. At a low level of aerobic exercise, high lactate is bad. However, as speed increases, it becomes mandatory to burn glucose anaerobically. That produces lactate because aerobic is just too slow. The myth, however, persists that feeding fat to horses is not only a cure-all, but supports high performance. There's no evidence to support it at all, and I certainly haven't found anecdotally. 
that me not feeding high levels of fat means my horses haven't got bags of energy and bags of stamina. In the studies that have looked at fat feeding in performance horses, the bottom line of effects on actual measurements of performance like speed or time to fatigue is just not there. So what fat do I feed to my horses and what fat do I think you should feed to your horses? If we go back to the ancestral horse and look at their diet of fresh grass, they would be exposed to about 6% fat. Unlike plants, horses and other mammals are unable to create omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids, so these nutrients must be provided in the diet. Good quality fresh pasture provides approximately three times more omega-3 fatty acid than omega-6. When grass is cut and dried, the omega-3s are lost and the content drops to 2 or 3%. Linseed provides a good source of omega-3 fatty acids at approximately four times more omega-3 than omega-6. So replacing the lost fat in a hay or haylage diet using high omega-3 micronized linseed at a rate of 42 grams per 220 kilograms of body weight restores the diet to the fresh grass levels. And thus the levels of fat that the horse has evolved to need and function on best. For a 500 kilogram horse, the level of linseed needed to be fed would be about 95 grams per day. Micronizing stabilizes the omega-3 content and unless stabilized, the fatty acids will oxidize once ground. Grains and oils tend to provide larger amounts of omega-6 than omega-3. Corn oil, for example, provides approximately 45 times more omega-6 than omega-3 fatty acid. This is one reason to never feed vegetable oil to horses. And this includes soya oil, which is also very high in omega-6. The relative amount of omega-3 to omega-6 in the diet may have important implications for inflammation within the body. The ratio in good quality grass pasture is about 3 to 1 omega-3 to omega-6. So you don't want more than 3 to 1 ratio in a horse's diet. That means you don't want lots of omega-6, you want lots of omega-3. High cereal diets will throw the ratio the other way. So there's more omega-6 in the diet. And this has the potential to be pro-inflammatory versus anti-inflammatory. Research conducted at UC Davis in the USA revealed a 60% drop in biomarkers of inflammation after supplementation with a product containing an omega-3 to omega-6 ratio of 4 to 1. That's four times more omega-3 than omega-6. Competition exists between omega-6 and omega-3 fatty acids at the cellular level. Therefore, the dietary fatty acid composition has the potential to impact a number of important cellular level functions relative to performance. However, fat is an important fuel for maintenance. And while glucose and glycogen is the premier, most versatile fuel, the ability to store it is limited 
so the horse's body is geared to use other fuels as well. Studies have shown that for low-level mooching around, fat is preferentially burned along with acetate and spares valuable glycogen stores. Acetate best comes from the fermentation of hay and unmolasked beet pulp, so a high-fibre diet is once again of benefit to all performance horses. Provision of fat at levels between 5 to 10% of the total diet is within the range in which the horse evolved and at this concentration is not harmful. This level will spare glucose for more intensive exercise. For a horse which is doing so much exercise that a normal body condition score is hard to maintain, such as an endurance horse or maybe a racehorse, that would be the only time to recommend higher fat levels. The forms of fat we prefer here at Forage Plus are the whole food sources. Those are micronized linseed and maybe Cool Stance Copra, which is a high medium chain triglyceride fat containing feed. Medium chain triglycerides are really interesting. They're really easily digested and copra is a byproduct of the coconut industry. And it's very high in this beneficial triglyceride, medium triglyceride fat. We'd never recommend feeding processed vegetable oils ever to horses. Just don't do it. Something we do think is interesting to consider to feed to performance horses is acetyl L-carnitine. L-carnitine is a compound found in the horse's body. Two essential amino acids, lysine and methionine, serve as primary substrates for its biosynthesis. Interestingly, analysis of the nutritional and mineral amounts in forage, commonly found in Europe and here in the UK, indicate that methionine and lysine are often short in grass and hay and haylage due to incorrect ratios between sulphur and nitrogen in the soil. It stands to reason then that this important compound might well be short in the diets of certain horses and might need supplementing through the addition of acetyl L-carnitine in a performance horse's daily diet. L-carnitine is very important for transporting fats to be used as fuel from the cytoplasm of the cells into the mitochondria. The fact that forage analysis reports often show low levels of the components needed for L-carnitine synthesis may mean that many horses in moderate to heavy work or just starting training, will benefit from the inclusion of L-carnitine in their diet. Intensive exercise greatly increases the demand on muscle tissue to produce energy from glucose, stored glucose, glycogen, and fat. Acetyl L-carnitine will help the horse adapt to training more quickly. It'll also help reduce muscle soreness and stiffness, allowing quicker recovery times. Many of the benefits are likely to be due to the higher acetyl L-carnitine levels that result when L-carnitine is supplemented. The effects of acetyl L-carnitine in increasing flow of fuels to the mitochondria and encouraging production of mitochondria are also effects of training. So what about sugar and starch? Can you feed a low sugar and starch diet to a performance or a sports horse? 
The answer to this will depend entirely upon the level of work the horse is undertaking, the speed of the work, the duration of the work, and what level of carbohydrate is contained in the daily diet of grass, hay, and haylage. Typically, analysis of hay and haylage shows levels around 10% sugar and starch. Spring and summer grass can be considerably more. If your horse is lacking energy, or it hits a wall and runs out of energy, then look to improving glycogen levels and making sure sodium and protein is at adequate levels in the diet. It is particularly common for a performance horse who's prone to weight gain to run out of puff because sugar levels have been so well controlled by the person feeding the horse that the horse never has enough to be able to top up the storage form of glucose that is called glycogen. There isn't much glucose in the bloodstream due to low sugar management by the person feeding the horse. So the horse just runs out of energy because it hasn't got any stored glucose. So to fuel muscles and future performance and give your horse more stamina during any exercise, you should try glycogen loading after work. Lethargy, poor stamina and poor muscle development may all be seen when a horse is low in protein, sodium or glycogen. It pays then to be on the ball with minerals. Feeding a forage-focused horse feed balancer to power the chemical and enzymatic processes in the body which use the glycogen and protein to build and repair body structures. Benefits will also be seen from a supply of quick and short-release carbohydrate after exercise to replace and build glycogen reserves. Note that I said after exercise. Many people think that if they feed their horse fuel before exercise, that'll fuel them, but it's not as good as after exercise. Believe me, I know. I've done endurance and I've done hunting and I know that the best results I ever saw were when I fed my horses after work to fuel the glycogen for the next time they worked. So, to support glycogen loading, sodium and protein levels, this is what I think you should do. You should follow this protocol at the same time as providing minerals and vitamins matched to grass and hay. The protocol is to feed a small feed after each work period. I find unmolasked sugar beet and oats with 50 grams of essential amino acids after work works brilliantly. Feeding 100 grams of beet pulp and 50 to 100 grams of oats, I like porridge oats, is perfect for an average 500 kilogram horse. This will replenish glycogen supplies in the liver and muscles with the beet pulp being a slow release energy source and the oats a fast release but low glycemic carbohydrate source. Feed this directly after work, not before, after, as this is when the body is most hungry to replenish the glycogen supplies and it will be done most efficiently. If you feel your horse needs a larger bucket feed, then stick to a 50-50 mixture of beet pulp to oats and increase up to 300 grams of each. Alternatively, you could use pea protein or Top Line Plus instead of essential amino acids. 
Essential amino acids after work at 50 grams and also 100 grams of pea protein or top line plus in the daily feed bucket with the balancer matched to grass and hay and haylage will give a great range of essential amino acids. Whether you do one or both is down to how much exercise your horse does and the possible levels of protein in the hay and grass eaten and the bucket feed fed. If you know through forage analysis the hay fed is low in protein for moderate to heavy work, then include 100 grams of pea protein or top line plus each day in the bucket feed. Horses seem to love the taste, which is a bonus. Then don't forget the salt. Feed plain salt, table rock or sea salt to replace the sodium and chloride lost through sweating after work. 1 times 25 mil just in the feed after work at least. Some hays are so low in sodium that 50 mils, a, 50, a whole 50 mil scoop is needed per hour of heavy sweating. That's not per hour of exercise, that's per hour of the total time that your horse sweated. And that leads me on to talking about what electrolytes your horse might need. The electrolyte minerals to be concerned about are sodium, chloride and magnesium. Potassium will always be more than adequately supplied for more than six hours of intensive exercise causing sweating through feeding at least one and a half percent of forage. That would be your hay, your grass or your haylage. It's worth really paying attention to electrolyte levels because they can affect stamina and lethargy and even result in muscles tying up. For the Forage Plus formulas for our horse feed balancers for adult horses, we add salt so that maintenance needs are covered. Magnesium levels are very high in our adult balancers, so that electrolyte will be covered if you're using our horse feed balancers. But where you are exercising a horse daily and it's sweating, then more sodium will be needed to maintain correct levels. If you feed this as salt in a small feed, then you will also cover chloride losses. And if the feed contains a small amount of linseed for the oil, then this is not only cheap, but kind to the stomach. Although people are drawn towards an electrolyte supplement, this often conspires against you, as what your horse is likely to need in the greatest quantity is sodium. The sodium in these electrolyte supplements will be lower than just feeding plain salt. Where an analysis report is not available, if sweating occurs, feeding 30 to 50 grams of table rock or sea salt after work or in the evening feed on the day of exercise where your horse sweats is likely to replace the electrolytes needed. Feed double this if you do something like eventing, a fun ride or hunting, especially if it's on a warm day and you haven't clipped your horse in the autumn. This will replace lost sodium and chloride and be a much cheaper and much more effective electrolyte supplement than anything you will buy from a horse company. Any lost magnesium will be covered by the balancer, which is high in magnesium. Where longer periods of sweating occur, then double or even triple this amount. We have a useful article on how lack of electrolytes affects horses on the Forage Plus website. And it's also, I think, our third podcast. So if you haven't listened to that one, skip back, go and have a look and listen to the podcast where I talk specifically about electrolyte feeding. 
Don't forget too, there's a PDF to go with that podcast. So you can download the PDF and you can share this important information with your friends. What about salt blocks? Lots of people say to me, yes, but my horse has got a salt block. Well, many horses just don't consume enough salt from a block to meet their minimum sodium requirement. Takes a long time to lick 50 grams of salt from a salt block. The minimum requirements are equivalent to a one kilogram block of salt a month for a 500 kilogram horse living in cool weather and doing no work. This is why supplementing salt at a minimum level matched to that found to balance grass and hay should always be done in the daily diet. It's really important to know how much to feed for each hour of sweating. And it's also important to have analysis of grass, hay or haylage if you're really working a horse hard because that'll give you more specific information about electrolytes. You should, however, always provide a salt block because it provides a useful warning of whether your horse is searching for more salt. I'm always interested when I notice my horse is going for the salt and it usually coincides with me not having given them enough salt because I've run out when I've been doing some exercise where they've started sweating. In the late summer and early autumn months where horses are growing a heavier coat which may need clipping, they will often seek out and need more salt in the diet to cover the sodium and chloride electrolyte losses due to sweating more and for longer. Experience of many endurance horses who throughout the summer have been using up stored electrolyte supplies that have not been adequately replaced shows that horses are far more likely to tie up in the September and October competitions when the weather is warm. Many people don't connect that this is just because inadequate attention to sodium levels have created a tipping point. The warm weather and the heavy coat creates the perfect storm, which can be totally avoided if you just feed enough salt throughout the whole season to keep reserves in the tissues and bones really high. The next thing to think about is what vitamins your horse might need if it's working hard. Vitamin E is a powerful antioxidant which protects sensitive cell membrane components from oxidative damage. Currently, the NRC recommends a minimum daily intake of 1.6 to 2 IU per kilogram of body weight per day for working horses. There is research showing that levels above this may improve performance in some horses, especially those doing rigorous speed or endurance work or suffering from neuromuscular disorders. For this reason, we suggest a minimum of 2000 IU per day for an adult horse and preferably 3000 IU for a performance horse in work who's not eating more than six hours of green and growing spring or summer pasture. A diet of good quality fresh pasture provides significantly more vitamin E than the above recommendation. However, due to oxidation processes, naturally occurring vitamin E in pasture declines dramatically in winter grass and during curing hay as well as in other feed ingredients that undergo processing. Losses in hay can be so great that stored forage should not be relied upon as an adequate source for performance horses. 
So if your horse is out hunting and you're not putting enough vitamin E into their diet, that's not going to be beneficial for them. And they're not going to get it from the grass and they're not going to get it from the hay or haylage that they're eating. So in some instances, separate vitamin E supplementation to raise the level to 5,000 IU per day may be justified, especially for horses in intense speed work and those showing signs of muscle soreness or those that are prone to recurrent tying up. The only other vitamins to worry about with a performance horse are the B vitamins because A and D will be fully supplied through fresh grass, hay and haylage. If horses are eating less than 2% of their body weight in forage, then adding biotin, thiamine, that's B1, folate and pyridoxine, that's B6, are a must. The increased turnover of protein, fat and carbohydrate in exercising horses is likely to increase requirements of these vitamins. Selenium, because we haven't talked about selenium yet, is commonly fed with vitamin E to keep muscles optimally healthy. Selenium requirements, though minute in the daily diet, need to be supplemented at about two milligrams per day for a performance horse to match to the commonly poor levels seen in haze and grass throughout Europe and the UK. There are exceptions in France and small pockets of the UK where selenium is higher and so supplementation would either not be necessary or advisable. The margin of safety for selenium supplementation is small, so where there is evidence to suggest the forage is from a high selenium area, we suggest using a no selenium forage focused horse feed balancer or checking obviously with forage analysis. This is also why we do not combine selenium with a vitamin E supplement. So you have your vitamins covered and then you need to decide what you're going to put in your bucket feed, which will carry the supplements that you're using and also give enough calories and probably boost protein as well in the diet. I've got my favorite separates to feed, which I select for their high fiber protein and concentrated energy source. Sometimes horses will struggle to eat the volume of food to provide the energy and calories they need when they do high levels of work. Feeds like chaff are usually far too bulky and at the end of the day all chaff is is just chopped up hay. So we opt for high calorie feeds. I also like to feed a range of separates so that the amino acid profile from the protein content is as varied as possible. How much you feed will be dependent upon the type of horse whether it's a good doer or poor doer, and its work level and activity. The beauty of feeding this type of bucket feed is the high fibre nature can be used as a hay replacer, and so digestive issues are far less likely. Where you choose to feed oats, you should always use two parts hay grass pellets or beet pulp to one part oats to avoid issues with the carbohydrate fraction of this cereal. My favourite separates to feed to performance horses are a combination of uh, the following. I don't necessarily feed all of them, but all of them, if you feed them in combination, will give a good energy source and a variety of amino acids and also 
um, a variety of minerals. So particularly the major minerals where you'll balance the calcium and phosphorus uh, balance. Um, so I like to choose from grass or hay pellets, unmolested beet pulp, uh, particularly speedy beet. I really like speedy beet because it's really quick to soak. Uh, alfalfa pellets, although take care with that because some horses do react to alfalfa. So just be aware of that. Wheat bran, micronized linseed, oats. I like the porridge oats. I like kind of like the naked groat where the hull has been taken away and then it's kind of flattened. It's flattened out. I, I actually like those a lot. And the last thing is the copra for the medium train triglyceride fat that it offers. That's a really good feed. These feeds can be fed in combination with each other or a selection fed according to owner or horse preference. The higher calorie feeds for improvement in weight would be wheat bran, copra, oats and linseed. But if you want a table that tells you um, some specific weights to feed and the kind of balance between these different types of food, then if you go to the show notes, you'll find a link to the PDF and in there, there's a table giving you some amounts to feed and suggestions. These concentrated separate feeds in the bucket will actually go a long way to boosting the protein that performance horses need in their diet. Protein levels for horses in moderate to heavy work do rise quite significantly. But in general, if you're feeding a generous bucket feed of the suggestions that I've made and ad-lib hay or more than six hours of good spring and summer grazing, then protein levels will be covered. It is always wise, however, to boost the essential amino acids after work as these can only be obtained from food. That's why they're called essential. Essential just means they can only get them from food. Leucine in particular needs to be at high levels. Young horses working at high levels are likely to need a protein supplement since their needs are higher due to them also growing and developing. I like pea protein or a mixture of potato protein and pea protein fed each day in the daily bucket feed alongside the separates like grass nuts, which are high in protein, wheat bran, oats, and maybe alfalfa pellets if the horse actually tolerates them. So you'll get a good variety of amino acids being supplied by the protein if you feed the targeted separates that I've suggested. Of course, if you also get your hay and haylage tested for nutritional levels, then you will also be able to know what protein your horse is receiving through this portion of the diet and make up any shortfall accordingly through a larger bucket feed or targeted protein supplementation. I really believe that the beauty of knowing what is in the forage fed or matching to a common average profile really makes a huge difference to all horses. You are powering them for athletic success and strength. Instead of playing food catch-up, you are providing the building blocks to create strong foundations upon which health will grow and blossom and be maintained for many years of the best fun. If you can power your horse for long-term health through giving them the building blocks, the correct nutrition as matched to grass, hay and haylage, then 
You'll get the most fun and the most joy and the most happiness with your best horse buddy or buddies. I honestly speak from the bottom of my heart that it makes me fill with joy and pride to see how healthy and strong my horses are. Even Fari, who at 27 years of age loves belting round the field with Gatsby, his best buddy. As for the monster, who is now 18, I can't believe he's 18, he is just coming into his own, starting to learn to jump at 15, now working on his changes in dressage. To be honest, nutrition isn't his problem. Mostly, it's me as a rider. I was once told he was just waiting for me, waiting for me to get better. Well, at least if I can give him the very best nutrition, he can continue to wait for me. And I hopefully can step up to his professor plate in the next five years or so. So that's all from me now. It's been great speaking to you. But I've got to go out now and play with my ponies. Next time, I'll be talking about our 10 top tips for the best winter horse feeding. How do you make sure your horse has the right balance of nutrients to keep it healthy and active throughout the long, dark winter months? Calories are often the easy part of horse feeding. But how do you know what nutrients and at what level they are needed in the daily diet to protect the health of skin, hooves and maintain optimum horse health? I'll tell you 10 ways to know what nutrients are best to focus on for the healthiest horse in winter. Happy galloping everyone. Go out, have fun and don't forget to tell your horse they are truly astounding and wonderful. If you have loved this episode, please write a review of this podcast and share it to a horsey friend who you eat, sleep and breathe horse with. And for more wisdom on horse nutrition and management, visit our websites at forageplus.co.uk and forageplustalk.co.uk.